0: And then today is also a little bit different. I'm not going to give uh, a sermon, per se. We are going to read what we're going to be teaching over the next several months. And we do that when we start a book. We like to get perspective about this chapter, about this passage. Read through it. See it in its entirety. Understand the big picture before we go through and look at it verse by verse. And week by week. All right. So let me pray for us before we start, and then we'll get going. Father God, I pray um, that you would quiet our hearts, Lord, with everything uh, already this morning that seems that uh, we prepare for and getting here, Lord. I pray. That you would help us to stop. You would help us to focus on you, Lord. God, that this time would be about you now. That we would lift up your name. God, that we would sit at your feet. God, that you would be worshipped during this time through song, through the reading of your word through teaching and through communion, Lord. God, we want to honor you. God, you are so good to us. You've given us so much, Lord. Lord, you've given us yourself. And God, we are so thankful. God, give us gratitude this morning as we listen to the Sermon on the Mount, as we read through this passage And Father, I pray that Your Spirit will begin to work in our hearts through Your Word. I pray that Your Spirit will begin to show us and give us understanding of this passage, Lord, that we would begin to understand more and more Your Kingdom and that we would live more and more as members, as part of Your Kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be going the next several months uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. And you guys might be familiar with that. It was a little overwhelming to me to consider teaching through this. Um, It's a huge piece of literature even considered in the world. And so to be preaching through this, I'm like, well, as you think about in the church, there's so much emphasis on teaching. Not wrongly so, but we want to know well, what did this pastor say, or what did he say in this book, and did I listen to this sermon online? The church has moved to that. We have access to so much teaching, and we learn what different men or different people are teaching about God's Word. And what I realize is we're sitting through, reading through, studying through Matthew 5-7 through is we're going to look at what Jesus taught. We're going to look at a sermon that Jesus gave to his disciples. We're going to go to the teacher of teacher. We're going to go to the king of kings. His word, what he spoke, what he shared. And as I thought through this for myself, I'm like, well, what, what do I actually think about the Sermon on the Mount? Have I, have I ever studied it in its entirety? I, I know these passages. I've heard these passages before. But have I ever looked at it in its entirety? Have I ever looked at it as a whole? And so that's what I want us to do today before we start to get into it verse by verse. And so we would understand it as a whole. Like, what's the context of it? What, what is he saying? Because I think Jesus probably was intentional about what he said. He probably had a plan as he went through it. He wasn't speaking randomly. And so we can step back and just, I hope that as I preach, or others of us preach on Sundays, There's a a format to it. There's a purpose to it. And so that's what I want us to see today. And that we begin to open our hearts, open our minds to understand this, and that we would begin to apply it in our lives as individuals and as a church. So if you look at it all together, the summary, the best thing that I can tell you is the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. It gives us a perfect picture of the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. So why should we study it? Why should we study it now? Why should we take between probably now and Easter to go through this passage by passage? Why should we spend so much time on this? And I had to ask myself, well, why am I excited about this? And I'm excited because... I can tell you guys that I earnestly would desire revival in my own life. That I would earnestly desire revival for us as a church. And that I would desire revival in this neighborhood. That God would move in us. That God would move in this body. And that God would move in this neighborhood. That he would become more and more present to us. And that he would move. That he would become honored and gloried here. And so, that's my hope. That's what I'm excited about. And so there's also, I want to break it down and just give you guys three things that I think in a whole that the sermon talks about. And these will sound familiar to you. And hopefully we know them as a family. That I believe that the sermon is gospel driven. I believe that the sermon is church-centered. And I believe that it's neighbor-focused. And that might sound familiar because those are our values. We've talked about them before, that that everything we do would be because of the gospel. That the gospel would drive everything that we are and everything that we do. And because of that, we would be church-centered. We would care for the church. We would care for each other. We would live that life out together as a body as a family, and then also we'd be neighbor focused, we would love our neighbor, we would share the gospel, we would meet needs of our neighbor, we would be involved in this place. And so I want to walk through and just show you those three things in this sermon, and then we'll start to go through it verse by verse, we'll read it together. So that's the plan for the day, is I'll give you this overview, we'll read through it together, a section at a time. In between the sections, we'll stop, we'll have a break, we'll worship, we'll have a song, and then go through the next section. So it'll be four sections all together. Three total chapters. So we're going to do that together as a body, as we go through. Everybody with me? All right. All right, so first, gospel-driven. So everything in this sermon has to do with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus teaches is related to himself and is related to his work, is related to this kingdom that we were talking about. It's the perfect picture of the kingdom of God. And so who is the king in this kingdom? It's Jesus Christ. He's coming and he's teaching about this and he says, I'm the king. This is my kingdom. It's through him. It's for him. In this kingdom, he is all in all. It's gospel-driven. And it shows, more than anything else, our desperate need for the gospel. As you read through this sermon, as you understand it, you'll realize that when we're faced with this sermon, we are in desperate need of grace. We're in desperate need of this new life that God has given us, of His Spirit that lives in us. Matt, he preached last week He talked about us being undone. That we would get to the end of ourselves. If we take this seriously, if we read this and study this, it will quickly bring us to the end of ourselves. We'll be undone. It'll dig past all of those layers, all of those pieces like Matt showed us, and it'll get to the heart of our issue, and we'll realize who we are before God. We'll realize our sin before Him. We'll realize our need for Him we realize our need for the gospel. It's gospel-driven. That's the point of the sermon. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone and what He's done for us. And so being undone at the end of ourselves, we would run to Jesus, we would be dependent on Jesus. And as we rely on Him, as we identify ourselves with Him, then we would begin to practice this sermon. We begin to make application of what He's teaching. He's not just giving us information. He's not just giving us knowledge. He's actually giving us teaching to live out, to make application in our lives. And so that application starts with being church-centered. Jesus died so that we could live out the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ went to the cross so that we would have the capacity through the Holy Spirit to live out this life that he describes, this kingdom life. In Titus 2.14, it's talking of Jesus and it says, He gave Himself to redeem us, right? He gave Himself to save us from all lawlessness and, and to purify Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. He saved us, but now, it's now that I've saved you, now that I've redeemed you, I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to walk as a member, as a part, as a son or a daughter, someone that's part of my kingdom. And so that's what this is describing. He desires for us to be sanctified. He wants us to be transformed. That we can reflect Him more and more. And as He describes this, this is the way that He wants us to live. This is how it would look like if we were a part of His kingdom. And I want to be clear that this is not just a set of moral standards that we're to follow. Or that we're to go out in the world and enforce on the world. This is for the church. This is for believers. This is for followers of Jesus Christ. It's not that we live this out and therefore we become Christian. It's that if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, then we would live like this. It doesn't go the other direction. We start with the gospel. We start with grace. And because we have this relationship with Jesus Christ, then we walk like this. Then we live like this. We don't live like this so that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to get that order appropriate. And so don't go out after teaching and start to tell your non-believing friends this is how you should live. This is what you should do. This is how you need to correct your life. This is what Jesus taught. You guys need to fix yourself. You need to act like this. You need to live like this. Because if they don't have the Holy Spirit, if they aren't following Jesus Christ, there is no way that they can do this. We have to start again with the gospel. We have to come back to this need for grace. And if they're following Jesus Christ, then they can begin to live like this. So don't have these expectations for non-believers. These expectations, this, this life, this kingdom life is for us. That we would be more and more like Jesus Christ. That he would make us more and more like him. So we're going to study it because it's gospel driven, we're going to study it because it's church centered, and then also because it's neighbor focused. And you say, well you just said it was for the church, how can it be neighbor focused? If this sermon is for believers, then how does this impact my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? And I want to share a quote from David Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is from 1959. Alright, it's 55 years old. And as I read this, it sounds like he's talking about today. 55 years ago, this is what he said when he wrote this book on studies on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I suggest to you, it is the best means of evangelism. Talking about the Sermon on the Mount. The world today is looking for and desperately needs True Christians. I'm never tired of saying that what the church needs to do is not to organize evangelistic campaigns to attract outside people, but to begin herself to live the Christian life. If she did that, men and women would be crowding into our buildings. They would say, What is the secret of this? If our lives looked like the Sermon on the Mount, it would change everything. It would change our neighborhood's perspective of what are these people doing? Why are they living this way? How come they interact with each other like that? They would, they'd want to know more. Like, what is the motivation behind this? What, what gives them the power to do this? They would be convicted, but they would be attracted at the same time. It would be this amazing display and proclamation of God's truth, but also God's grace. It would attract our neighbors. Because it points to, like I said, the source. We would not live this out. We cannot do this on our own. It is through the power of God, through His Spirit, that lives in us. And if we're living this out, then we get to proclaim that power. We get to proclaim God's Spirit. We get to give Him glory. And that will draw people in, and that will convict hearts. So that's how it's neighbor-focused. He'll use it to transform our neighborhood and our relationships with our neighbors. Everybody with me? It's gospel-driven, it's church-centered, and it's neighbor-focused. Alright, so we're going to get to reading it now. Um, before we do that, I want to just give you the context of the passage. Right? It's in the book of Matthew, it's a gospel in the New Testament, it's actually the first book in the New Testament, and Matthew is writing to primarily what we understand is a Jewish audience. That was who he had in mind when he wrote this letter. And this sermon comes in chapter 5. So let me tell you briefly what happens in chapters 1 through 4. In chapter 1 and 2, we understand who is this Jesus. We see the genealogy of Jesus, his family line. And we see that Jesus was a Jew. And we see that he came from this line of David we see his birth and then we see quickly that he is being persecuted that Herod, this king is after him wants to kill him and his family they flee he becomes a refugee he leaves the country he goes to Egypt and then as a young boy he returns he comes back to Israel he comes back to Nazareth And then in chapter 3, we meet John the Baptist. And he's preparing the way for Jesus. He's proclaiming this Messiah, this promised king that's going to come. And he says in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He begins to talk about this kingdom that Jesus is beginning. Because Jesus is here, this kingdom is beginning, it is at hand. And he's telling people to repent, to turn. Because the king is coming. And then Jesus is identified because John baptizes him. And think about that. As a family, when we have a baptism, right, we're identifying with Jesus Christ. We're identifying as part of his kingdom, and we're identifying with his family. We've experienced that together with different members of our body. And Jesus is being baptized, and he is identified as the Son of God. God from heaven speaks up in verse 17. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So John says, the king is coming, then the king is baptized, and God speaks up. He says, this is my son. This is the king. And so this Jewish audience reading this, are like, this is the Messiah. This is the one that was promised. This is the one that's coming. And Jesus begins to preach, and he says, you repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He repeats these words of John. And then we see him in chapter 4 going, he calls his disciples. They begin to follow him. Word is spreading about Jesus. And more than just His disciples are following Him, the crowds are following Him. In chapter 4, verse 23, right before the Sermon on the Mount, it says, And He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There you hear that word kingdom again. It says, "In healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought Him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus is on the scene. The king has arrived. He's called his disciples, and now the crowds are following him. News of him is spreading. You've got to think that these Jews that have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah. They're getting excited. They're like, is this the one? Is this the king that God has promised? Is this the one that's going to come back and that's going to establish this kingdom? Is Jesus the one that God promised? They were looking for this man, this man to come and to free them from this bondage of the Roman Empire. They were going to have freedom and they were going to have power. They were no longer going to be ruled over. But they in this time would have seen the kingdom in a very practical, a very political, and a very material sense. They're like when Jesus comes, when this Messiah comes, the good life comes with him. We're going to have power again, and we're going to have freedom again. That was their expectation. That's what's going to happen when the king comes, and he's going to establish this kingdom. And so as we look at this passage, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we get to say well what does the king actually say about his kingdom king jesus is going to teach us about his kingdom it's not what they had expected it may not be what you understand or have thought before but we're going to listen to jesus teach about his kingdom and he has the authority because he's king so in matthew 5 verse 1 through 20 we're going to start with what are the foundations of this kingdom The foundations are the things on which everything else is laid. It's going to support everything else in the sermon. And as you read this, or as we read it together, you've heard it before, I'm sure you've heard it before. But I want you to think through, this is identifying the character of those who will inhabit the kingdom of God. This is talking about followers of Jesus Christ. This should be a description of our character, a description of who we are, and ultimately it's giving a description of Jesus Christ himself. He's like, I'm the king, and you're going to look like me, and this is what it's going to look like, and I want you to listen to it with that in mind, that this defines, this section defines our relationship with God. It defines what we must be before we start to do what he teaches. This is who we are, not what we do. This is who we are in Jesus Christ. So we're going to listen with that in mind. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore... Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're going to move to the next section. Don't get bored. This is Jesus' sermon, not mine, right? So this should be like, you know, a zillion times better than anything I would ever share. We get to read the God's Word, and it's straight from Jesus. Alright, so we talk first, the first section, this kingdom foundations, right? What what do we start on? What are we in this kingdom? What are we to be? And then in verse 21 of chapter 5, he moves into what I would say kingdom relationships. And when I say relationships, I mean between two people or between groups of people. How we talk to each other, how we behave with each other, how we deal with each other. And so if we understand in the first section we're in this relationship with God, now how do we relate with those others around us? And how does our relationship with God impact our relationship with others? So this is going to focus on our interactions and our perspective of others around us, our treatment of others. It's going to talk about anger. It's going to talk about lust. It's going to talk about divorce. It's going to talk about oaths. It's going to talk about retaliation. And lastly, it's going to talk about loving our enemies. All things that you can't do on your own. There's got to be somebody else present. You've got to be interacting with someone else to experience or to walk in those things. And so we've talked about our position with Christ. Now I want you to think through this as we read through the sermons, as we read through this section. So what does this now impact in my relationship with others? Verse 21 of chapter 5 through verse 48. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Those are pretty difficult words. I thought they were hard when I was reading them on my own. But reading them together, and you guys hearing them, and us sitting here together when we're talking about relationships, I think it makes it even more difficult, more overwhelming to think about that. And so hopefully, as I talked about to begin with, that this is convicting. That we'd be, in a sense, overwhelmed by God's truth. But then it would also lead us to experience His grace. His incredible grace. We would be so amazed by His love for us. That we can't meet this. We can't do this. And yet He gives us grace. So we're going to move on from the second section to the third section. We've talked about the kingdom foundations. we talked about the kingdom relationships. And so having these relationships with God and with each other. Then we move into kingdom practices, the third section. So what is it that we actually do on a regular basis as an ordinary part of our life? What does day in and day out look like if we're part of this kingdom? And we can see in this section, he's going to talk about the practice of giving, the practice of prayer, the practice of fasting, and then the practice of just interacting with our material world, with the world around us. With having to meet needs and our physical needs and our material needs. These are the things we do daily as a member of the kingdom. This is what we're actually going to practice. And he begins to tell us how we practice those things. So as I read through chapter 6, verse 1 through 34, I want you to think about your life and I want you to think about what does your day in and your day out look like? What do your practices look like? What's ordinary for you? And how does it reflect or not reflect what he's teaching on? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret." And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And the last section, chapter 7, I think it covers kingdom understanding. And when I say understanding, it's that we would have this knowledge and this ability to judge our current situation in light of the kingdom. That we wouldn't lose perspective. We would remember this kingdom that's coming. We remember that Jesus is the king. And it would change how we understand and how we judge our current situations and the lives of others, the world around us. It would all be through this knowledge of the kingdom of God. That would be our filter. We'd have understanding of ourselves. We'd have understanding of others. We'd have understanding of God. Not according to our thoughts, not according to what we believe, but according to God and according to His kingdom and His word. So as we read this last section, I want you to think about, well, how do I view these things? How do I view myself? How do I view others? How do I view God? Do I view it through this word that he's communicated? Do I view it through kingdom eyes? And so let me read chapter 7, verse 1 through 29. That you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened." Or which one of you, if, he, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Verse 12, So whether you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many." For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, or grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears the word, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. So these are the things that our Lord Jesus taught. He taught them with authority, and he expects them from us. I just want to give us one more passage for context, right? This is the the beginning of the Gospel is Matthew, right? We introduce Jesus and then Jesus begins to teach. And then if you go all the way to the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is with his disciples and he's about to go to heaven to be with the Father. And what does he tell them? Again, it's a passage that we're probably familiar with. I want to read it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in this very sermon are the things that he taught that were to teach the nations to believe. He meant them to be taught. He meant them to be practiced. Jesus lived the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he lived. This is what his life looked like. And if we're his followers, then by grace, through the Spirit, through the power that we have, we should walk like that as well. They were taught by him, they were meant for his people. And so, again, why? Why would we do this? My hope is for revival. Revival in my heart, revival in your heart, revival in us as a body, and revival in this neighborhood. That literally the kingdom would come as we just pray in this place and in this neighborhood amongst us. That we would live it out together. Because if we wholeheartedly come to this sermon, if we're honest before God as we listen to this, as we pray through this, if the Spirit works in us, then amazing things will happen. Amazing things will happen. God will move, people will be transformed. And this neighborhood will be drawn to Jesus Christ. And Jesus will be made king. That's our mission statement, right? And we proclaim the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ. If we live this out, if we take this seriously, if we submit before God, God will, Jesus will, be proclaimed as supreme and of ultimate worth. But we can't do it. We have to come to him. He has to do it through us.